Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. So I'm sure most of you would have seen the Clarice Beckett exhibition and you would have seen how, again, you know, through art history, for, for whatever reason, um, her works were not necessarily understood and that, that that exhibition was really a chance to revisit her work and to consider how she was a pioneer of modernism. I really have the same ambition for this um, exhibition. So to really consider how the artists were really at the avant-garde of modernism and also how they were working on an international stage. So both artists were born in Czechoslovakia. They worked in Prague at the exact right time to be really immersed in surrealism. So these are artists who were very interested in surrealism from an early age. And in fact, Dushan declared himself a surrealist at the age of 14. So he had his first exhibition at 13. It was of realist art. He said it was received well at 13, um, but so well that he thought, I want to challenge my audiences a little bit more. And he felt that he could be much freer with surrealism. So here we have an artist who was committed to surrealism from the age of 14, and Voita, who was a little bit older, um, was also very interested in its ideas, which we'll explore in the next gallery. But their first exhibitions in Adelaide, if you can imagine, they arrive as committed surrealists. They arrived to a scene in Adelaide post the Second World War, which was, I think it's safe to say, a little bit conservative at the time. I think there was a sense post the Second World War for art to have a role in society that perhaps was positive and that had a sense of um, a national art style. And here are two brothers who were... Um, had a big impact when they arrived. They spoke with media frequently, especially Dushan, and they were committed to the ideas of surrealism. And I think there were some misconceptions around the role of their art in society, and perhaps they were considered to be a little bit more political than what they in fact were. So neither artists were, would consider themselves a political being. In fact, they came to Australia to escape um, you know, the, the ruling of politics um, in Czechoslovakia. So they came here to escape the communist takeover of Czechoslovakia. But nevertheless, their works were exhibited here, they were misunderstood, um, they were praised but also received with puzzlement and censorship. So this painting here by Dushon, which is a double-sided painting titled Equator on one side and Perpetuum Mobile on the other, um, was one of those works that were de was deemed incomprehensible and obscene. And in fact, this painting was exhibited here in Adelaide in 1949 and removed from display from one of the Contemporary Art Society's annual exhibitions. Um, and I, I've done a lot of investigation into what it was that maybe was considered to be obscene. It was reported in the newspaper as obscene, so we know that to be true. Um, and I came across, again, sitting at home going through diaries, I came across a little note by Dushan's wife, Helena, and she noted that he had to paint over some of the more explicit content of the painting. And she was referring to the painting on the opposite side. So maybe we'll just come around this side. Yes, yeah, so this is in our permanent collection and it was actually one of the first um, works we acquired by the brothers in the 1970s. This was acquired in 72. And Dushan at the time, he was alive, both artists lived um, very long lives. This exhibition goes through six decades of their lives. Um, but Dushan was alive when we acquired this work and he noted um, how absurd it really was that a work that was... Um, once removed from display, then is the work that he's represented by in the major state collection here. 
So this painting, Helena suggested that there was some more explicit content that he had to paint over and she referred to pubic hair. And so I spent quite a long time with our conservators at Art Lab Australia trying to find maybe where that could be. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to discover it. Um, but I suspect that it was most likely with the female figure here giving birth. Um, but of course, there are too many layers on this painting to really reveal um, the stages that he would have um, worked on it. Um, but this painting was made on the ship and it was made using the ship's gaming table. So he stripped the felt covering off of this side here and began painting this work using whatever materials he had that he brought with him and then he also purchased materials um, when they were staying in different ports. So their journey to Australia was very long. It was extended by weeks uh, months even, um, and this painting here was really created at a time when they were really in flux, if you can imagine by the title, Perpetuum Mobile. And you can see little glimpses here of the events that would have been occurring. So there's the engine from the ship in the very centre, which was the cause of their delay, and then you even see the kind of sleeve of a member of the Red Cross um, who would have been giving them uh, much needed supplies during their stay in Gibraltar. But this is such a great work to look at at the beginning because you can also see how these are artists who weren't looking at an outer landscape as much as what they were looking at an inner landscape. And I've written in the main wall text that they were really interested in, in ideas of ambiguity and in the intangible. And really they were exploring, I think, the very mysteries of the human heart and mind. And you can see that in this work here. He's positioned these real events within a scene which is really looking at the stages of birth and death and in in this kind of circular scene you have elements of nature so as i said about the sea both artists really were um, driven by the powers of nature and um, dushan has included here a figure wearing a mask with the law and he's referring there to the law of nature so the law of the universe itself which makes everything keep going around so it's been interesting getting reviews of the exhibition. I thought perhaps there could be some reviews that would consider it, you know, not a, an exhibition that wasn't necessarily light or positive and maybe that's what we need at this time. But actually the reviews have really picked up and observed how these artists were inspired to create their art constantly throughout their whole lives. And I can't imagine anything more, you know, hopeful and positive than to be committed to your craft for that long. But also that underlying all of these works is a kind of a desire for freedom, for love, for liberty, and a real, um, yeah, a real faith in really the power of the universe to bring us all together. The opposite side was created midway through making this work and it was made um, on the occasion of the boat crossing the equator. So again, a very celebratory image of finally transitioning um, through the hemisphere and getting closer and closer to their new home in Australia. I'll just point out two other works in this space and then we'll move through. So perhaps it's worth mentioning as well for anyone who's interested in the kind of exhibition design of the show that um, I was, I had a concern about putting such small works down in such a large space. And so I was trying to find a way where we could really honour what I think are really like gem-like paintings that um, are painted just on discarded material, but really to give them the respect of space and also that 
a, a way of um, really actively wanting the viewer to have a one-on-one -on -one experience with the paintings. And so that's why we've chosen these kind of large, single, um, freestanding walls. It also became a method where we could display the double-sided works. Um, and also, as you walk through, you'll see how certain symbols um, reoccur in their work, like doors and windows, um, as well as mirrors. And so they became my display um, devices. We also have just gone with white and black walls because I was really interested in the idea of two artists, in the ideas of duality and doubling, and so that, again, was a kind of a display method to bring those ideas through. So, this painting titled The Birth of Love um, was created by Dushan before the artists were at sea. So they escaped Czechoslovakia with the help of their cousin, Melina, and they ended up spending about four months in a displaced persons camp in Germany. And there, again, you know, these are professional artists who were already exhibiting their work, and they were in their 20s, and Dushan decided to use the bed slat from the base of his bunk bed to create this painting, as well as the painting on the reverse of this wall. The more time that I've spent with this painting, we've also been able to um, confirm that the image on the very right-hand side, this beautifully rendered um, figure in blue, is in fact the artist's cousin, um, Melina, who helped the brothers escape Czechoslovakia, as I mentioned. And it is believed that Dushan had a great love for Melina, and um, her son, Mirik, is still alive and has been working with us um, and in the archive, we discovered a very small photograph, which is in a showcase at the end of the gallery, um, where we believe Dushan um, would have referred to that photograph in making this work and possibly brought it with him on the ship, which was just such a lovely little discovery. But here we have a very interesting um, composition and series of images where we're really looking from left to right, I think, across the composition, beginning with this kind of demon-like figure with this embryo-like figure in the centre. And he, is, he with, with an umbilical cord, is joined to this interesting um, fluid-like creature in the centre with one um, eye. And then we are drawn towards this kind of a free-formed, organic kind of heart shape. And then again, we go towards Melina. Here she is giving them new life, really. Um, unfortunately, she... Well, not unfortunately. Fortunately, she helped some 235 people escape Czechoslovakia at the time. But she was denounced by an informer and was sentenced to 22 years in prison, of which she served around... Uh, she served 10 um, from around 1950. So there's all these, um, yeah, quite tragic um, stories behind a lot of this art, but also um, here she kind of lives in the artist's mind as, um, you know, the reason for their entire being post-1948. Um, I won't stop behind, we'll move into the next gallery, but as we move through, perhaps you could just have a quick look at the work on the back, which is titled The Voyage. Again, it's a painting made on a bed, on a bed slat, and it is a very beautiful kind of imaginative scene of what their journey to Australia might look like. So there they are, landlocked artists in a displaced persons camp in Germany, and Duchamp painted this work imagining the ocean. I'll meet you in the next gallery. So we're in a space here titled Love and Liberty. 
And again, if you can imagine me, imagine me sitting at home, going through the archival boxes of material relating to the brothers, um, which I should mention was very generously offered to us through the family. So Vera had two children, Olga and Ivan, um, and they remain here in Adelaide and they've been a huge help. Olga's also an artist and her work is upstairs in the atrium on display at the moment. Um, so I'm here, I'm, I'm at home looking through the archival boxes and I was looking at Dushan's catalogue for his first solo exhibition in Australia. And on the very end page, there are just two words. Um, they're separated and they're underlined and they're in capitals and they float on the page and they, they, said, they say love and liberty. And so I started to think about those ideas and I thought how perfect it really is a way of understanding their early work made here in Australia, which I believe is really an expression of their pursuit of those two states of being. So if you can imagine those, those ideas as you look at the works around you, I think we get a little bit closer to understanding their work. So they're here in Adelaide and they're interested, as I said, in the ideas of surrealism. And so I was also looking through Voigt's notebook his Adelaide notebook, and he started to write pages and pages answering the, the question, what is surrealism? And um, on one page he said, surrealism is seeing not only with eyes in eye holes, but new eyes and knees in throat in palms. And then on another page he said, surrealism is something almost physical, turning the artist inside out. So all of those ideas are really coming forward in the works around us, um, and especially their drawings. So both artists really gravitated towards the immediacy of drawing during those early years in Adelaide and produced a large body of work of drawings which I've included in this space. I was very interested in reading some of the early reviews of their exhibitions. As I've already mentioned, they were received with puzzlement as well as with praise and with censorship. And um, Dushan really wasn't willing to just kind of sit back and accept um, this reaction from his audience. And so in 1950, um, in the advertiser, he purchased advertising space and had this poem here on the wall uh, printed for his audience to read. So I'll just read it to you. He said, art cannot speak through nice social forms. It must not fear to speak plainly. Man is not privacy. Break the mirror which changes your sides. Empty yourself to see what you are. So again, very much like Voiter talking about turning the artist inside out, Dushan was really asking his viewers to turn themselves inside out, to really challenge their position in the world and to consider, um, to consider just, just what perhaps they could change or how they could be differently. One of the controversies, as I mentioned, was the banning of Dushan's double-sided painting from the Contemporary Art Society's exhibition in 1949. And so after that, um, Dushan decided to leave Adelaide uh, well, soon after that and he moved to Tasmania and then to Sydney and really throughout his life he moved around a lot until the final decades where he settled in Adelaide. Voiter didn't move around as much, Voiter was more um, invested in Adelaide. But Dushan moved to Sydney and he held his first solo exhibition which I mentioned had the love and liberty in the catalogue. And so the exhibition really caused a huge sensation. It wasn't just Adelaide who didn't understand their work, but it was Australia and particularly Sydney. And so in the next space, we have recreated um, that exhibition based on archival photographs and also contemporary reviews. So we might just go in there and I'll just quickly speak to a few works. So this is a recreation of the Mac Gallery display. Um, and I was fascinated by the photographs, so I have included two photographs just on the wall text to the left. 
Um, and you can see how we've even tried to recreate the yellow doors that would have been in the building at the time, which I have to say has caused quite a bit of confusion to our audiences who have tried to open the doors several times, and so now we've had to put a sign here. Um, but the intention really was to give you a feeling of maybe what it would have been like to walk into this surrealist environment. Um, it was described in one newspaper report as being presented in an atmosphere of six ticking clocks, a tinkling music box, black drapes, and maybe burning incense. So both artists were really interested in the um, art being this sensory experience, a full body experience, as well as an, a challenge to the mind and the eye. And so all of the works that are in this section were included in the Matt Gallery display, and we've been able to locate them across Australia. One work that was particularly difficult to request for loan was this work behind me titled Ego. So this painting here received surface damage when Dushan moved to New Guinea in the mid-1950s. But interestingly, when the work was acquired by the Art Gallery of New South Wales, Dushan um, specified for the work to never receive conservation and for the surface to continue to, to deteriorate over time. And I thought it was a very interesting um, idea and certainly has a lot of relevance to the subject itself, which is of the ego, with the work being titled The Ego. Another painting which is worth mentioning in this space is the one over here titled On the Beach. And this is a work from our collection here at the Art Gallery. And it was actually in the private collection of Iva Francis. Does everyone, does everyone know modernist, Adelaide modernist Iva Francis, who was a big champion of the brothers' work? And as you walk around, you'll see many credit lines which um, comment that they were a gift from Iva Francis. So in 1953, just after this work was made, a few years after, this was made in 1949, Ivor Francis actually wrote an article about the brothers and he um, quite poetically and prophetically stated that they would not be appreciated in their lifetime like a flower is born to blush unseen. And I think he was right. He really saw very early on that they were very much ahead of their time and that it would take quite a few decades for us to come to terms with the challenges that they were presenting to us. But I can see why this work in particular appealed to Ivor Francis, as it was one of the first paintings Duchenne made in Adelaide. And it is such an exquisite example of his ability to really present to us um, forms with multiple associations. So here we see an image of organic forms really floating unanchored in space. Um, forms that are suggestive of shells as well as body parts, detached limbs, and then at the very centre, or, or almost at the centre, is a very um, beautiful, again, um, described face of a woman, and we know this face to be Helena, so Dushan's future wife, Helena. They were able to reunite here in Adelaide, and as I said, they married soon after arriving. Helena is also the subject of the portrait over to my left titled um, My Wife and that painting was probably the only painting in the Matt Gallery display that was received with enthusiasm and I think that was most likely because it looks very similar to the Cubist work that was very popular at the time. Um, Dorit Black, as many of you would be aware of her work, she was here in Adelaide at the same time as Dushan and Voita and um, 
in one review that I came across, there was a suggestion that her work was surrealist in its um, outlook, and she was very quick to explain to the audience that she wasn't, had nothing to do with surrealism and that that was not the aim of true art and that true art was about building up an image through defined um, geometric forms. And so, again, you just get a sense of the debates that would have been happening at the time. It's also worth mentioning before we move on that both artists were trained in the treatment of precious stones and metal and when they arrived in Adelaide um, they had to um, pay off the government I guess through the, um, the employment scheme through their actual migration here to Australia and so they worked for a period of time for Shepherd's Jewellers but then they also established their own jewellery business called Marco. So they were really here making their own jewellery and um, quite successful in that um, endeavour. And then Voita was also the director of a new contemporary gallery called The New Gallery. So they definitely, even though their names may not be in all of our art history books, they were definitely um, known and very present here in the 40s and 50s. We'll move on. I'll meet you in the next space. We're just talking about um, the Matt Gallery space and the furniture that was there and whether or not that was made by the artist or if he ever did make furniture, the artist. Um, but no, um, I've just included them to give you a sense of what the exhibition would have felt like because they did just have furniture lying around the show um, and those pieces are just straight from the collection. Yeah, so no real relevance to the artist, um, but just a feeling. I know, it's a good question. Most of the clocks in there are not working, so that's one reason. But also I wanted to highlight the sound of the music box and I thought ticking clocks and music box in a small, small space might be just too much. Um, so the music box that you can hear playing in there is the original music box, which we were able to locate in a private collection. So the music box is on the table and we recorded its sound and so that I thought should be the focus, yeah. But in the very end gallery, the ideas of time reoccur um, and become more obvious again in Duchamp's work. And so we have included a ticking clock at the end of the whole exhibition. So in this space, um, we're looking at the artist periods in island settings. As I mentioned at the very beginning of this tour, that both artists in the 1950s um, went their separate ways and they happened to both decide to um, spend quite a few years in island settings. So Voyager moved to Kangaroo Island, where he became part of the lighthouse service. At that time, he was married to Vera, and they had two young children. At almost the exact same time, Dushan and Helena decided to move to New Guinea, and they stayed there for a period of about five years. Um, both artists then came back to Adelaide in late 58 and 59. So we have this really interesting moment in their lives where they've had, um, you know, a huge amount of discussion, um, well, they've experienced a huge amount of discussion about their work and their first exhibitions, and then they really retreat to these um, settings where they're really immersed in nature. And I was fascinated to read their descriptions of their experiences because they were very similar descriptions, even though they were separate experiences. And both artists really described nature and the sea um, to be overwhelming. And they said they didn't want to add anything to their surroundings. And really what it was for them was just an immersion in nature. And then through that immersion in nature, they really found creative replenishment. 
And so the works that they made at this time, um, there's not a lot of works that they made at this time. It's quite a modest body of work. And I've described it in wall text, I think, as, as transitional and certainly very experimental. And so this period in their lives has often been overlooked by, by other um, curators and art historians. But actually, I think it was incredibly important to what happens in their work later. So at this time, Voiter was making sculpture, he was continuing to draw, and he also created a fascinating um, series of photographs of his work on um, the beaches of Kangaroo Island and then later in Adelaide. And so I've included all of those works on the back wall. So the back wall is really devoted to Voiter's time in Kangaroo Island, and then this section with the cloud wallpaper is devoted to Dushan. So Vera later said that Voiter and her both really had always wanted to be lighthouse keepers. And actually when they were in Prague, they applied to be part of the um, British Lighthouse Service and that was declined. So they came to Australia and then they decided to have another go and they were successful in joining the South Australian Lighthouse Service. And so they had a wonderful time. And Vera, who was seemed to be incredibly, an incredibly intelligent woman um, and was a translator in Prague of various, um, of, for various magazines and was also a ballerina. She has written many short stories and we've included in the publication for this exhibition one of her stories about their time in the lighthouse. So please do have a look at the publication. Our understanding of Dushan's time in New Guinea has also been brought to us through his wife, Helena. And Helena said that really Australia was a stepping stone to New Guinea in Dushan's mind. And many people have kind of speculated to be, you know, as to why maybe Dushan wanted to go to New Guinea. And there's a idea that maybe he was inspired by the surrealist map of the world. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the 1929 surrealist map of the world, but it was, um, it was published at the time um, without an author assigned to it. But what it is essentially is a, a reimagined view of the world where all the nations and, and as we know them to the size that we know them and the position where we know them is changed. So some nations are enlarged, others are small. Um, Australia is quite small, but um, New Guinea is large and the Pacific is placed at the centre of the surrealist um, sense of the world. And really what I think it was, um, was a move away from Eurocentricism and um, really wanting to look at art history from the perspective of many indigenous cultures rather than our kind of Western ideas of art history. So that I think would have appealed to Dushan. And so it's very likely that he would have been aware of the surrealist map of the world having been a devoted surrealist himself. So they were in New Guinea and Dushan again was inspired by nature but didn't want to replicate it. So he only created one painting at that time and we've included it here on the left, a work titled Rabul. But later in life, much later in life, in the 19, early 1990s, just before he died, he created three more paintings um, looking, at the same, um, looking at the same view and also drawing from his memories of his experience in New Guinea. So I've included here those 1990s paintings um, and in particular this one titled Rubble Revisited. At, during this time, Dusham was also experimenting with film, and he would become um, Australia's one of Australia's pioneers of surrealist filmmaking here. And so, this work in the very centre, titled Nightmare, also known as The Magician, is one of his earliest films, and it was made in New Guinea using the puppets that he handcrafted himself. 
Interestingly, Voiter at the very same time in Kangaroo Island was also making puppets. So these are by Dushan, and then these up here are by Voiter. And I was interested to see a ballerina given that Vera was a ballerina um, herself. So at this time, Dushan's exploring filmmaking techniques and he was making many homemade videos at the same time that he was completing what he would consider finished works of art as videos. And so I've included here some of the home movies, which I think are just as fascinating as the finished works. Again, he's edited the scenes to really juxtapose images of nature with images of engine parts and people. And in the very corner down here at the bottom, I've included a film where he's showing Helena with a friend walking into the ocean, floating in the sea, and then coming back out again. Let's move into the next space. So, as I mentioned, both artists were really reju rejuvenated by their experiences in nature. And when they returned to Adelaide, they both entered um, really their most prolific periods of art making and experimentation. So, Voiter began making um, ecclesiastical sculptures and objects on commission for churches and schools across Australia. So during the process of putting this exhibition together, which has happened over the course of about 18 months, we've been able to discover that Voiter made works for um, churches and schools in every state and territory in Australia. So really he was hugely prolific and very well known for his work um, expressing his religious faith. I was really fascinated by this body of work and how it might relate to an exhibition titled Surrealists at Sea. Because as you would probably be aware, the Surrealists, um, especially those perhaps who follow the words of Breton, would not be putting religion alongside the ideas of surrealism. But actually, Voiter was very comfortable with exploring those two um, ideas and notions and feelings at the same time. So many of his works, especially his drawings produced around this time, really show the combination of his interest in surrealist techniques um, as a method of expressing his deep-seated faith. And so we've included a really I think quite exquisite body of works over there, drawings from the National Gallery's collection, um, which uh, show his technique, which he was using very early on in Adelaide as well, of really employing single lines and a lot of empty space to really concentrate um, our understanding of his forms. So you can see him repeating the form of the hand, also repeating eggs, eyes, um, and doing, yeah, having so much feeling behind his lines, even though it is just a pen and a lot of empty um, space on the page. So for Voiter, he once said that purity of line expressed for him the purity of his faith. And you can see that in those drawings. You can also see it in the works I've selected for this exhibition um, from his commissioned sculpture that he produced for schools and churches. So he really was prolific and he experimented with diverse media. He made large statues, he made complete altarpieces, he made small um, candlestick holders. But I really wanted to focus on his work with iron rods and wire. So in 1958, he's back from Kangaroo Island and he starts working in an Adelaide factory who produced um, basic 
fences and shopping trolleys. And he said he started working with this material and he got what he'd been after for years. Um, and again, I think it's due to the simplicity of Lion. Um, and as he said, the ability for Lion to really communicate a purity of faith. And so this material really required a considered design of bold lines and a lot of empty space to see form. And so we've included many examples here. At the end of his time in Kangaroo Island, um, Voita wrote to Dushan in a letter. And I had, I had found that letter actually quite late in the process of putting this together. And um, I had it translated. And at the very end of the letter, he said how he felt that when he wasn't with his brother Dushan, he had one arm cut off and that he was really praying that they would reunite again and that they would be able to make a film together. They didn't necessarily make a film together, but Dushan did make a film um, looking at all of Voita's church commissions. And so we've included in the showcase on the iPad a film made by Dushan of Voita's church commissions. I think this is a good time to talk in terms of where we're at with the film behind us. Um, it's interesting, the sound in this exhibition one, one moment I can't hear it at all and I think we should turn it up and then the next minute it's so overwhelming that I can't hear myself think. So this space really um, is devoted to showing the range of Dushan's experimentation with film and animation. So as I mentioned, in New Guinea, he experimented with filmmaking and produced some of his earliest films. He had already experimented with it in Sydney. So between 1952 and 1975, he created over 50 films and animations. So he was, as I said, prolific, and he was also really a pioneer of experimental filmmaking and especially surrealist filmmaking in Australia. So in this gallery, we're looking at just 10 examples of his work um, with time-based media. And the work that I think is particularly interesting is the one behind us, which is the cause of the sound. So this work is titled Adam and Eve, and you can see how Dushan has used very um, simple materials. So just like the artist's early voyage paintings where they used whatever materials they could find, here he's using magazine pages and newspaper newspapers um, to build up a narrative um, and it's not a simple narrative it's the epic narrative of Adam and Eve and so this work was actually received well during Dushan's lifetime and it was his filmmaking that he received the most awards for so this work was awarded the inaugural um, Australian Film Industry Award um, and he also received awards for this internationally I think the element of it which really interested audiences was the sound element. So Dushan worked with Ian Davidson, who was a local filmmaker um, and photographer, and together they produced the sound and they decided to use a system of four Morse code keys. So Ian Davidson organised for, um, for sounds to be drawn from everyday life. Some of the sound elements have been reversed and then he sat down with Dushan and looked at the footage and Dushan decided to press the keys when he felt like um, the sound needed to change. So there's this great element of chance that's going into this um, filmmaking process, which is a very um, surrealist idea, just to kind of um, give yourself over to the process of making in a very intuitive way. Dushan said that all of his films were drawn from his inner imagination, inner reflections, 
um, and he said that it was very, he felt like viewing his work was very much like music and that if you could consider, look at the films as if you were thinking about music, you might be able to stop trying to understand a narrative and just give over to the idea of being in the moment and perceiving it um, instinctively, he said. I'll just point out that the work over to the left, titled One Dotty Adventure, was also a study for Adam and Eve, and you can see how he has developed the forms over time. I'll let you watch the films for a few minutes, and I'll meet you in the next space. So here we are in a completely different space again, with an entirely new series of works, um, which probably to, to most look like they're by a completely different hand. Um, these works really emerged, as I mentioned earlier, from Dushan's experience in the Kurong. So he came back from New Guinea in 1959 and he returned to Adelaide for a short period of time and he decided to go to the Kurong. He was already interested in the Kurong from his early years there, um, but he said at that time he had an out-of-body experience floating on the Kurong. So he usually loved floating on water, not being submerged in water. So he was floating on the Kurong and slipping in and out of space and time and had an out-of-body experience that decomposed him and made something new of him. And then this series of work created on aluminium sheets emerged um, through him. So most of the works in this space have a reference to the Kurong in the title. And really what you see is the artist really experimenting with the kind of chemical reactions of different paint. So of oil-based paint and then also synthetic polymer and enamel mixing together. And again, there's an element of chance which we saw before in Adam and Eve, um, where he really allows the painting to organically emerge in front of him. He was also very deliberately using discarded sheets um, metal sheets so that he could um, respond to the existing imperfections of that material, again, much like the early voyage paintings. So many of these works would have already had dents and scratches on the surface before Duchamp started working on them. And it was kind of an interesting challenge to our conservators because I had a lot of the conservators saying, oh, but that's, that's got a dent and do you want me to fix that? And definitely no. Um, so what we have here is really, again, quite innovative experimentation with materials, with found materials, with paint, and with ideas of abstraction. But Dushan said he wasn't interested in what the style might be called. He said, I wasn't interested in abstract expressionism or whatever. He said he was very much just inspired by his immersion in nature. And surrealism remained of interest to him. So the idea of surrealism being able to reveal hidden truths and to being able to really empty the artist's mind onto a surface was of interest to Dushan, even in these works here. In the small gallery to the right, um, I've repurposed, I'm not sure if you were all familiar you would have been familiar with the Clarice Beckett exhibition and this was the kitchen and Tracy Locke had these beautiful, uh, beautiful window here with the kitchen sink and so my turnaround for this exhibition was very, very short because Beckett was extended um, and so I had a very short turnaround and what I thought is I'll devote a room to all of Duchamp's miniatures. 
It's really fascinating from this time onwards, Dushan experiments with working on really, really large scale works and then very, very small scale works. And he approaches both with the same sense of originality and with the same um, sense of the work being a completed, finished, exhibitable work. And so even in the next space here, you see him working on found material, including a house brick that he painted on in 1971. So I'll let you have a quick look and then I'll meet you in the next space. So the space that we're in now is titled The Deep. And um, the reason for that title is an obvious reference, of course, to the ideas of the sea and to nature, but also because I found myself, again, at home working on the publication and the exhibition and finding myself deep in theory surrounding ideas of time and space. So around this time, um, in the 70s and also 60s, Dushan really became very interested in, the theory, in theories around time and space. And in 1973, he relocated to Tasmania and became a lecturer at the Tasmanian School of Art. Um, and he devoted an entire notebook at this time to books about time. So on the very front of a notebook, which I've got um, with me in my office, he has said books about time. And it's just pages and pages of him writing down all the books that he had read, the theories, um, trying to articulate the theories clearly for himself, and then also trying to apply them to his own um, philosophies around the world and all the mysteries of the world. And so in particular, he was very interested in Peter Ospinsky and his publication published in 1912 titled The A Key to the Enigmas of the World, I think it's titled. And so I found myself reading Ospinsky and getting very confused about all the theory around the fourth dimension. Um, but what I did find interesting and what I felt like could be applied to considering Dushan's art was that Ospinsky um, had this method of posing questions to his reader as a way of um, trying to understand the very mysteries of the world. And then I started realising that around this time Dushan was also putting, um, placing titles on his work, uh, his works that were also questions. So this work, for instance, to my left is titled When Is Now? Another work over on the back wall, I think is titled Who Knows? Um, so he was very interested in those ideas and you can see that through his work. I think one of the uniting aspects of Dushan and Voyager's work was that they were both interested in that kind of elusive space, um, that kind of unknowable space on the other side of the material surface of things. So both of them really went towards those intangible, unknowable ideas um, about the world and wanted to be able to express them. And of course, as I've said already, the kind of mysteries of the mind and the heart um, was of interest to them. And they weren't necessarily trying to tell us in their work what those answers might be to the world, um, but really they were very interested in kind of sitting um, within the, the kind of uncertainty of it all. Um, so many of the works in this space draw on ideas of dualisms and doubling, um, ideas of reversal, as I've mentioned before. We start seeing in the late work references to early works, and at times it's quite a direct reference to early works. Um, and these uh, sculptural paintings, as Duchamp called them, on the centre plinths, 
remind me of some of the early double-sided voyage paintings, um, and in particular this small work titled um, Four-Dimensional Drama Without Words, I think. <laughs> um, you can see him, again, working on both sides of one surface and bringing together found elements into the finished work of art. You also see um, a hand coming back, so on both sides of, on the sides of Equator and Perpetuum Mobile, the double-sided painting we looked at at the beginning, Dushan placed his hand on both sides of the board, a real, um, you know, energy emitting from the artist to the viewer. And then here again, you see the hand returning, and in the very centre is a spiral. So in many of the works, in this room and also in the earlier rooms, you see the spiral um, coming back again and again. And I think for Dushan, the spiral really became a symbol of his journey, a kind of, you know, a great symbol of a spiritual journey, as well as the idea of outer worlds and inner worlds coming together. And then of course, really looking at the power of nature, um, you know, being such a beautiful form that comes, you know, not from man, but from nature itself. This final space is looking at the artist's late works. It's also um, featuring Dushan's first feature-length film, which I'll talk to in a moment. This is a quiet moment in the film, so it's a good time to be talking. It will get loud again. Um, both artists really suffered long and debilitating illnesses towards the end of their lives, and their late works really show their um, negotiation of their changing bodies and also the way that their changing bodies were relating to the world around them and, and particularly to nature. They also, as I've already mentioned, were returning to early works and ideas. So Voiter in 1973 had a car accident on his way to morning um, mass and he, had, he suffered a brain injury that worsened over time. And so by the late 70s and 80s, his ability to draw was very compromised. And so what he did is he returned some of his early 1950s surrealist drawings that we saw at the early in the early gallery and started to recreate them in copper panels. And so we've included some of those late copper panels on the left um, where he was really able to continue to express himself. And I found it quite fascinating that he would return to early images and memories um, to do that you know, near the end of his life. In a similar way, Dushan um, was also bed-bound near the end of his life and he had kidney disease and had to undergo regular dialysis in his later years. And so many of his um, final drawings, which we've got on display on this side, were actually created when he was in a hospital bed. And again, you see him negotiating his changing body and some of the earlier images of bodies kind of stretched and torn apart and fragmented reappear now in these late works. And in particular, one that I was very happy to find in a private collection is this um, drawing just on the very end here, the long format drawing, where that reminded me of the long format of the slats that he painted on very early on in the Dillenburg Displaced Persons Camp. And here we have a figure kind of fleeing a landscape and behind the figure is what looks like to be a surgical needle um, stitching through the landscape towards the figure. Both artists were interested in the interconnections of the world and of all beings. So I think the fact that there's this circular nature to their art, that the beginning returns at the end, is um, very interesting and very purposeful in their art. 
and I came across a letter that Dushan wrote to um, Voita, and he said, I've got it on the wall at the end, there is no finish to the end, a beginning follows the end. So I think, again, even though these works are really exploring quite a challenging time in their life where they are coming to terms with the end of their life and their changing body, they're actually um, full of energy and rigour and experimentation and um, really both artists were producing work until the very end. Dushan was working until the day of his um, death, according to his wife, Helena. Um, and I'll just point out that the work you first saw on the mirrored wall, titled The Self-Observing the Self, was found on Dushan's easel at the time of his death. So that work where there are two figures, um, one above the other, um, and again, they're fragmented figures that um, again suggest some of the early figures from the voyage works. Here they are looking at each other um, and they're sitting within a very abstract um, gestural field of fleshy pink. Um, I think it's a yeah, fascinating work, so please do look at it when you leave. Um, I'll just mention the film behind me and then that will be it from me. So this work, as I mentioned, is the first, is Dushan's first feature length film and it's titled Cobweb on a Parachute. And I thought it was a good film to end the exhibition with because just like in their work, there are key um, motifs and subjects which repeat throughout the film. So the beginning is very similar to the end. Dushan is basically showing us his um, conflict of self. So it's a conflict between his um, conscious and subconscious self. And by the end of the film, they come to an agreement and a meeting and um, Dushan repeats, he's, he's giving us the narration of the film. And at the end, he repeats a passage that he said at the beginning. He walks towards the ocean and says, I'm now very much part of nature, the natural law itself. And if you can remember back to the very beginning of this talk, um, when we looked at Perpetuum Mobile and there was a figure there who had the law written on his eyes, um, and Dushan described that painting as, an, as a look at the natural law of the universe itself, you know, bringing us all together. Um, so again, here he's, he's referencing the law of the universe itself. And I thought, yeah, how, how interesting that he's also walking towards an ocean at the very end of the film. And again, doors, windows, um, repeat throughout and he walks through the same door at the beginning that he walks through at the end. Thank you for your time.